All right, we're going to continue on working through the attributes of God. How important this is, we've talked about it, and we want to keep reiterating that every time that we come together to talk about this, um, especially His attributes and who He is, it's, it's vital because, you know, in our society today, especially in our church society, if you will, what do you hear? You hear that doctrine doesn't matter or it really doesn't matter. You, 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 you know, it's not so much about your theology, it's about what? Relationships. It's all about this personal relationship. However, we've got a problem because part of a relationship is what? Knowing who you're in a relationship with. You don't just not care of who you're in a relationship with. You don't, you don't get married and say, I could care less. I don't want to know anything about them. Who cares what they are, who they are, what they do? That's crazy. No one would ever say that. And to truly love someone more in our earthly relationships is to know more about them. Again, we mentioned this on Sunday where, you know, the more that you love your spouse, and it comes by you knowing them more. You love them more than you did on your wedding day, hopefully. And that comes because you know them more and you've grown with them. And that's the same thing with God. We, we have to understand that theology and knowing who God is is vital because if we don't know who God is, then we really don't know who we love, and, and we know that we love Him more when we know Him more. These things all go together. We have to know God. It's important. And the other thing that we see is that, as we've talked about it for so often, is that the higher theology and, and the more we know God, that, that turns into higher praise and the higher worship. You probably see this now that it's almost impossible, isn't it, to know God more and to love Him less? How's that even possible? That's what our hope is, and that's what the Bible tells us to do, is to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. And, and here's the objective tonight. The objective tonight is we talk about this attribute of God, the, the incomprehensibility of God. That's a big word, a long word to spell, and we hope it's spelled correctly. But we want to talk about His incomprehensibility tonight, not as something that we should fear, not as something that should make us anxious, but something that should give us such peace in our souls. And here's the objective tonight as we work through this, that, that at the end of this, you, we want to see God bigger than we've ever seen Him. We want to see Him more exalted. We want to see Him more magnificent, more excellent than we have ever seen Him. And then conversely, we want to see ourselves in our true place. We want the gap between God and us to be more realized than it ever has. It's like John chapter 3, verse 30 tells us. Is, he says that He must increase and we must decrease. And, and that happens when we see who He is. When He increases, we truly understand who we are and it changes our lives and it changes our worship. So with that being said, we're going to begin speaking of the incomprehensibility of God. But before we do that, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this night. We thank you for the people that's gathered. And Father, we ask that you would help us tonight. You would lead us in your word. You would lead us into all truth. And Lord, as we begin to talk and to, to expand on your incomprehensibility, Father, we ask that you would just put peace in our soul with that fact. That you would let us sleep with such peace tonight. And that we would walk through this life with such peace, such comfort, such assurance, such trust. For many reasons, but to those reasons, we want to add the fact that we grasp a little bit deeper your incomprehensibility. So, Father, help us tonight. Open our ears and our eyes and our souls to receive this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been labeled a know-it-all? No, that, does, that doesn't come typically with a great uh, term of endearment. It usually comes with some, um, probably some not nice intentions with it. But there are many people who, by their actions and by their words, do come across as know-it-alls. And there are some people that must know it all. They must, they must have uh, everything worked out in every detail, in every aspect of life. And if they don't, that brings anxiety and, and not peace and, and fear. 
But the Bible is very clear. There's only one know-it-all in the whole world. That's the omniscient God of the world. That's one of his attributes we're going to touch on in the weeks to come, that he's the only all-knowing. And as we talked about that, this gap between who God is and who we are, and the more that we understand how much of a distance there is and how much of a gap there is, we understand one thing, that his knowledge and his wisdom and his ways are not our ways. And the mind of God is something fully and exhaustively that we can never know. For the finite mind to try to fully grasp God is futile. It is an exercise that is never going to happen. And before we start to think, well, that's horrible. No, it's not. It's actually peace to the soul when you start to see what the Word reveals. There's comfort in not knowing certain things. There are mysteries in the Bible. There are things that our minds can't comprehend. We can't even comprehend small things in this world. Let me give you an example if I can. Self-disclosure here. Tomorrow's my day of teaching homeschool. If I was to be a betting person, I would probably be safe in betting that I will have to Google how to solve a sixth grade math problem. Seventh grade math problem. See, time goes by so fast. And before you say, really? You come over tomorrow. And we'll work through seventh grade math and tell me if you have to Google anything. But do you see? We take something as small as seventh grade math and we don't fully understand it. But we then, with the same mind that can't comprehend seventh grade math, will turn to the next breath and say, Oh, but I know all the ways of God. I've got it. And we look at these mysterious things and these deep things of God, and they'll drive us nuts. But take comfort. There's things that we will never understand. There are things that God has in His mind and His will and His decree that we're not meant to know. Our finite mind cannot ever grasp this. And even when we are in our eternal state, we still won't know it all. Because what will we still be? Creatures. There's only one that's from eternity past. It's God. Everything else, everyone else is a creature. So we will have an immortal body. We'll have a body like unto Christ, but we'll still be finite in our understanding. I think about some of the things that just blow my mind that we may say we understand on the surface, but we don't. We can't. Like, for example, the Trinity. Now, you got to believe it. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that it is the Bible. I believe it's truth. I believe you got to believe in the Trinity to be a Christian because if you don't believe that, he's, that the Son is who He says He is, you can't have the Father. Can you really say tonight with all certainty and all truth in your soul that you fully understand how the Trinity functions? I mean, we get the concept. One being, three divine persons. But does our mind really grasp that? There's no way it can. You see, those are the things of God. Or how about how He's decreed all things to come to pass. He's ordained all things that come to pass in all of our lives, but still there is the responsibility of man, the sovereignty of God, His eternal decree, and the responsibility of man, how they mesh flawlessly together. How do we fully wrap our heads around that? I don't know. I know the Bible says it, so I believe it. But to explain it in all the depths that, that there is, I can't say that I know that. There are things that God has decreed we'll never know. There are things in our life that, is you have, that you and I have went through that we know that it's for a good purpose, we know it's for a reason, but we don't understand all the mysteries behind it. You see, the list goes on and on of these things. That's a good thing. And let me say this. To mean that God is incomprehensible does not mean that we can't know God. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about we cannot fully know Him exhaustively in all of His knowledge and all of His ways, but we can know Him. If you're a Christian, you know Him. You know Him intimately. You know Him personally. You know Him salvifically. If you've been with Him as a Christian for many years or even a small time, you know that He walks with you. You know that about Him. You know that He's faithful. You know that He's true. 
And the Bible tells us that we're to grow in knowledge. There's a couple verses right here in the middle of your sheet. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, it tells us, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are called to grow in the knowledge of God. That's been the theme here for the last what, year. Grow in the knowledge of God. Know who God is. That's why we're here tonight, to grow in knowledge. We're not saying that God can't be known, but we're saying His exhaustive knowledge will never understand everything. There are things about God that we'll never understand. His full wisdom and His full knowledge and His power and His might will fully never grasp that in our finite minds. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, which is going to be the last verse in this epistle that Peter writes, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. We are called to learn and to grow and to renew our mind daily. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the transcendent wisdom and mind of God that we'll fully never comprehend. Are you okay with that? Are you at peace with that? Well, hopefully by the end of the night we all are. And we thank God for His incomprehensibility. Here's some quotes at the top of your page. I think that they're, I think they're good. I think there's something to be uh, read. So I just wanna, I want you to get a feel of what we're talking about here. The first quote says, If God were small enough to be understood, He would not be big enough to be worshipped. He wouldn't be God. If you understood everything about God then that means his mind would be finite. And if his mind is finite, he's not infinite. And if he's not infinite, he's not God. And if he's not God, he doesn't deserve worship. And we have no hope. The next one says, A God that can be understood is no God. Who can explain the infinite in words? God's plan and His ways of working out His plans are frequently beyond our ability to fathom and understand. We must learn to trust when we don't understand. The next quote says, God is truly knowable, but not exhaustively comprehensible. The more I learn about God, the more I become aware of what I don't know about Him. Can anybody agree with that? That the more you know about who He is, the more realization you realize you have no idea what's left. The depths of His knowledge and the depths of His wisdom. And Spurgeon says this, As well might a gnat seek to drink in the ocean as a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. A God whom we could understand would be no God. If we could grasp Him, He would not be infinite. If, he could not, if we could understand Him, He would not be divine. You see, the weight of God, the bigness of God, the wisdom of God, the mind of God, the secret decrees of God. He's God. And we can't understand seventh grade math. Let us never forget that as we tend to question and doubt our God. I wrote this on the board. It's a phrase that I think that we need to, to grasp, maybe not in that language, but to grasp the meaning. It's finitum, non-compax, infinitum, which simply means the finite cannot fully grasp the infinite. Let that sink in. We're called to learn and to grow and to seek. But remember, at the end of the day, when you pray and when you begin to trust and you begin to walk out your life, no matter how much knowledge you and I think we have, our minds are finite. And we cannot fully grasp the infinite. Incomprehensibility does not mean that we know nothing about God, but rather our knowledge is limited, falling short of total and exhaustive knowledge. We know what God has chosen to reveal about Himself to us. However, like we said, we're to continue to grow in this knowledge. And I want to give you some examples of this, if you will. You have your Bibles, and uh, we're in Job chapter 38. And if you remember what has happened in the story of Job, that it starts out with, Someone 
bringing Job's name up <laughs> to be, to be uh, the recipient of all this that's going on. And it was the Lord who said, have you considered my servant Job? He was sovereign over that activity, wasn't he? But then he gave restrictions. You can do this, but you can't do that. You see, he's sovereign over all things. How many times? We've talked about this when we were in 1 Peter. How many times when something bad comes in our life, we're tested, we're tried, we think that God is out of control. And maybe, maybe he just has lost some control and power to Satan. I bet it would sound like this. Hey, have you considered my servant Mark? That's what it may sound like. Go ahead. You can do that. You can do this, but you can't do that. Refining the faith. Trying the faith. Would we agree that Job's faith came through on the other side? More refined. It put through the crucible, burned out impurities, and they came forth sweeter on the other side. But this whole time, there's Job is questioning God, and, and God is silent for a long time in this book. And we know that Job, at some point, he begins to say, well, God, why is this happening? This is a lot. What my quote-unquote crime is the not, does not fit the punishment that you're putting on me. If you remember, that is when God says, well, who are you that I would take anything for you or from anything you've ever given me anything that I would repay you? Or what do I owe you, Job? I owe you nothing even if you had more outstanding character than you claim to have. I, I don't owe you anything. And Job is questioning God, questioning God, questioning God. And when you start to read chapter 38 through chapter 42... God begins to ask Job questions. You ever been around those people where you ask them a question and they ask you the question? They have different opinions on that. Job is calling out for questions. He's questioning God. And God does not come and say, here is your answer, Job. Here is what I'm going to tell you. He turns it. He says, Stand up like a man, because I'm going to ask you some questions now. And what he does to Job is absolutely all wisdom. Because he begins to ask Job questions that Job has no idea how to answer. He says, Job, you know it all, don't you? And he starts to ask him questions. That Job realizes in these questions that is is expansive and knowledgeable as he thought his mind was, compared to the knowledge and the, and the power and the miraculous works of God, he knew absolutely nothing. And it was in these questions that God humbled Job to teach Job that he didn't know a drop in the bucket of what he thought he did, and he sure didn't know the things of God like he thought he did. And at the end of this, in chapter 42, Job's heart is changed. And you know what he found? In all those questions that he couldn't answer, in all those questions that God asked him, that there was not an answer that he could give because he didn't know, there were things that he was seeing that God was incomprehensible. And at the end of all those questions, do you know what Job found instead of turmoil? He found a peace and an anchor for his soul. He found comfort in not knowing these questions because at the end of the day, he says, I spoke in ignorance. I spoke in things I didn't know. I'm questioning you. And when you ask me these questions, I realize that you're truly incomprehensible and whatever you bring into my life, I don't have to have every detail. I trust you because even though I can't understand it, you are incomprehensible and I trust you. That's what Job found at the end of this, that there was comfort in not knowing. Just let's read through this verse, uh, these verses here in chapter 38, and then, and then we'll just mention a few briefly. And I just want you to see this. Have you ever questioned God? Have you ever thought that you know more about your life than God? Have you ever thought that you, if you were working out your life, that you would do it just a little bit better? Now, please don't answer that out loud, but think about it. 
Because I'm sure from time to time we've done that. Because I would be hard-pressed to believe anybody in here has ever prayed to God, God, why would you do it like this? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why this? Why are you doing this? You must tell me. If that's ever been you, listen to what he tells Job. Verse 1, chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He comes out swinging, doesn't he? You don't even know, Job. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Here comes the first question. See if you know it. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. And I placed boundaries on it. And I set a bolt and doors. And I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. Do you know how to do that, Job? Are you the one who tells the ocean this far and no farther? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and they stand forth like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm is broken. Have you ever entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the, great, or the gates of deep darkness? Have you ever understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Do you see what he's doing? Do you know what Job did the whole time? what every human being does when put on the courts before God. You stand there with your mouth absolutely closed as one speaking without knowledge before. Can you understand any of this? Do you understand how this earth just hangs on nothing? Do you know that? How does he do that? When the sun rises tomorrow and he commands in the morning, how does he do that? We know, right? If you listen to our prayers, oh, you, you'd wonder how we could deny that we didn't think that. How dare we ever question him? And how dare we ever think that we can fully know it all. There's great peace in not knowing the full expanse of God. Listen to how he goes on. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered... Job 38, my man. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? Where is the way that the light is divided? Or the east wind scattered on the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the flood or a way for the thunderbolt? To bring rain on a land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste, desolate land, and to make the seeds of grass to sprout. Has the rain a father? 
or whom has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb has come the ice and the frost of heavens? Who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like stone and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. Can you bind the chains of Pilates or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the earth or fix the rule over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that the abundance of water will cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are, we talked about that the last time we met. Can you command the lightning to go where it goes? And how in the world can we even comprehend that? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being? Or who can understand to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom? Or tip the water jars of the heavens? When the dust hardens it into a mass and the clods stick together. Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens and lay in wait in their lair. Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander about without food? He feeds the animals. He controls the lightning. He stores the wind. He stores the rain. Do you fully comprehend that? Or is that too incomprehensible for our mind? We can say, well, we understand it, but we truly don't if we're honest. This is what he's asking Job. The whole chapter in 38. In 39, he goes on and tells, he speaks of his rule and his sovereignty over nature. That Job has no idea what is even happening there. Chapter 40. He goes on and contends to say the same thing. He shows power over the creatures. The behemoth. The leviathan in chapter 41. Continues to question Job. In Job 42, we see the result of that incomprehensibility of God that was given to Job. Verse number 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. These things are too wonderful for me. My mind, my finite mind cannot fully grasp what you've asked me. I have no answer. Your glory and your power is incomprehensible. That brought peace to Job's soul. Does it bring peace to your soul? That we have a God that we fully cannot exhaustively understand. Quickly flipping to Psalm 139, we see this continuing on. And, and if you have the NASB translation in your hand, then you will see two of the attributes in this chapter that we'll pick up in later weeks. In Psalm 139, it speaks of God's omnipresence and His omniscience. That means His He's everywhere at all times, and He's all-knowing. But in Psalm 139, this is a wonderful chapter. It's, it's talking about many things. Towards the end of the chapter, uh, we see, or the middle of the chapter, towards the end, it talks about that the babies uh, formed in the innermost parts, woven together, fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days in the book were written that were ordained for them and all of us before one was yet to be. But we want to take our attention at the first six verses of this chapter. And he says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. I don't know if I really like the next verse. And even before there's a word on my tongue, before, O oh Lord, you know it all. Mm-mm-mm. I need to reread that a lot of times. Can you comprehend that? That all your days were ordained before one came to be, decreed by God. Still, you've never made a choice you didn't make. God's sovereignty, your responsibility, and that before the world began, he knew every thought you'd ever think. 
You knew every word that would ever come out of your mouth. You knew every place that you would be. And the list goes on and on. Can you fully grasp that? He knows what you're going to say later tonight, whether it be nice or it not be. He knows it already, and you don't know. He knows what tomorrow will look like, and you don't. Can you fully grasp that? He's incomprehensible. What peace this should bring into our soul. He goes on to say that, Behold, O Lord, you know it all, and you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. We should be blown away by the knowledge and the wisdom and the, the, the workings of God. That's the problem in the church is that we're not amazed. We're not in awe of this God because we fully and truly don't know Him very well. That's why doctrine matters. That's why His attributes matter. Because when you hear this, it should bring us to a place of awe. It should bring us to a place of reverence, a trust, honor, obedience. But when we hear this, what's our response? It's good. You see, the psalmist says here, when I just think about that, you just even know my words before I speak them. When I think about that small thing, it is too wonderful for my mind. This is so high that I can't even attain it. Are you in awe of God? Bless you. Am I in awe of God? What is incomprehensibility? Bring us to a place of reverence tonight. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. You've heard this all your life, but think about it when you speak about the incomprehensibility of God. In verse 8, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Everyone stop and say, Amen. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that? Oh, and then here's even better part. Nor are your ways my ways. Because you know why we can rejoice with that? Because my ways... They usually don't work out too well. But he says, His ways are not our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And yes, my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes we can't comprehend it. We can't grasp it. It's okay. Again, we're to grow, we're to seek God in knowledge, but there's things that we will never have the answer to. There are things that are too... to the things of God, they're too... Big, they're too amazing to our finite mind. We'll never know. And it's okay. Because we trust the one that has all that knowledge. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. We can't fully grasp it. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to him that it may be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. You've heard this. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You'll see that verse 34 and 35 are in all capital letters referring back to the Old Testament. And verse 35 we know specifically comes from Job. The account of Job. You see what's at stake here? Seeking God, studying His revelation that He's given us in His Word, but understanding there are things that are too uncomprehensible for our minds because our minds are finite. And what a glory that we, in our minds, in our understanding, is not on the same page, on the same level as God. That's because He's God and we're not. For in that we rest. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5 says this, Just as you do not know the path of the wind or how the bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Do you see where the trust comes in? Do you see where just resting in this God comes in? Do you know how the wind blows? Have you ever seen the wind? No. You've seen the effects of the wind. You've never seen the wind. You don't understand where it comes from, how it moves and what it does. And we sure 
I mean, science will tell us, yeah, this is how a child is born, but do we really understand how that even comes to pass? You don't even understand the depths of that. Oh, but you, oh man, think that you understand the paths of your life. Think that you can question me. Think that you can know it all. And when you don't, question my goodness. How about we start out with this? Learn seventh grade math and tell me where the wind comes from and how it blows, and then we'll talk. Do you see how high God is? How unfathomable His ways are? How incomprehensible His excellencies are? And for that we rest. Job 26, going back to Job, in verse 5 through 14, it says, The departed spirits tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Naked is Sheol before him, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, and he has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. Now listen, the pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his breath the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of his ways. And how faint a word we hear of him. But his mighty thunder, who can understand? The things that he lists to Job. The things that sit here and make us say, I don't have a clue. I don't fully understand this, and I can't answer this, and I don't know this. And the things that we read in the stories in the Bible and the verses that just leap off the page that make us say, I don't know. And they make us say, you are so wonderful and so powerful. And it leaves us in awe, and it just makes our heart rejoice that this is the God who saves us. We should be in awe of the things that He's revealed But he says in this verse, he lists these things to Job and he says, does that impress you, Job? Is that unfathomable to you? Is that incomprehensible to you? Good, I hope it is. But let me tell you something. That's just the fringe of his ways. That's just about that much of his power. And that is just the fringe of his excellencies and his wisdom and his knowledge. You think this blows you away. That's just what I've revealed to you. Can you imagine the unveiled glory of God? Our minds could never, even for a million trillion years, come close to even comprehending the full weight and the exhaustive knowledge of this God. Do the stories of the Bible amaze you? Do the things in the Bible amaze you? Do the power of God amaze you? Do the mysteries of the God amaze you? Just a fringe of His ways. Who can understand? Do you see that every verse we read, the goal is that God gets a little higher in our mind. And just like Job, after he's asked all these questions that he doesn't know, What did Job do? Did he walk around with a proud chest, puffed up? I've learned it all. I know it. No, what did he do? He says, I repent in ashes and dust. There's the gap that we always talk about. In that moment, Job understood the gap was absolutely unbridgeable in knowledge and understanding. And that's what made Job love and trust God more. You know, the Bible says that, I believe it's in the book of John, that if all the things that God had done were written in the books, that this world could not contain it. And the things that you've and I've been revealed to, or had revealed to us in this word, are amazing. It's just a fringe of the power and the glory of God. Let that sink in. He goes on to tell us in Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. He's given us His word. Study it. Learn it. But there's going to be things in this life that we fully don't understand. Psalm 145, verse 3 says this, Great is the Lord, highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. 
Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. And then he goes into Ephesians chapter 3, and he, he says this starting in verse 16. Now, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Do you fully understand the love of God placed on you? No. How could you? Stop just for a second and ask yourself that. Do you understand the love of God upon you? We can't, if we can't understand the most basic thing, that God loves us. How dare we, me included, ever question this God? Our knowledge, our understanding in Him, we can't even put that into a comparison. But ask yourself, have you had any prayers in the recent future or the recent past? that you thought you had more understanding of your life than God or questioned Him or doubted His goodness. I believe many times in my life, I can only speak for me, that I believe if at some point I remembered maybe hearing that He asked Job 77 questions or something of that nature. How many questions would He have to ask you? before it drove you to the ground to repent in dust and ashes for our arrogance, for our pride, for us thinking that we know the ways that we should go, to thinking that our minds and our understanding of our circumstances are on equal footing of God. How many questions would he have to ask you? I don't know. For sometimes I think he would, Job would, that 77 would seem very simple because he'd get to 77 to me sometimes and he'd still be going, wouldn't he? You cannot fully grasp how the sun rises. You can't understand my love. You can't understand how the rain falls and where I keep it. But you understand my ways. You see what's at stake here? The incomprehensibility of God. He's revealed so many things in His Word. Thank God for that. Have you learned more this last year than you ever have? I have. He's called us to grow. That is the glory and the gift that He's given us. He's given us the gift of His Word, and He says, study it diligently. Remember that? Until you die. There's going to be things that you just don't understand. My ways, my decrees, the mysteries of God. You may understand why I'm doing this. Trust that it's for good and just move along. Because His ways are incomprehensible. So is His wisdom. This is what's at stake here. He has to go up, and we have to go down as it reaches into all aspects of our life. He says that this love of God surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. One of the most misquoted or misused verses in all the Bible. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power of God that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is at work in our lives. The salvation that He brought to us is beyond understanding. It's more than we could ever ask or think that this eternal God would do for us. And when we understand that, look what happens. He ends it with doxology. You see, with this, there's a couple truths that arise. In the simplest truths of Christianity, there resides a depth that no one can fully grasp. I've heard this all my life. I heard this growing up. And if you were at Stoneforth for any time, you heard this story too. There was an old man, I believe his name was Elvis Laney. 90-something years old, still preaching. And he was quoted as saying this. I'm 90 years old. 
been preaching ever since he was a teenager. And I'm barely starting to scratch the surface of John 3.16. Well, I can tell you that's true today. And as simple and surface level as that verse appears to most Christians, there's a depth in that verse alone that I don't know we could fully ever grasp. Every verse in the Bible, as simple as it may seem, it's coming from the mind of the infinite God. And the depths of His words, yes, they can be understood, and we can understand those things, but when you start to reveal it all back and you actually get to the, the core and the depths and, and the origin of all those simple verses, there's depth that we can't understand. Even in the simplest truth, there's depth that we can't fully understand. And even in the highest theology, even the, the most genius human beings that are being called by God and, and they've got ex just knowledge that blows our minds. Can't even come close to understanding fully the eternal mind of God. There's comfort in that. How does that apply to us applicably in our daily lives? Well, we've mentioned it a little bit, but let me, let me, let me, let's go to our prayer life. How do we pray? Do we spend it questioning God? I think if we're all honest, we do at some point, or we have. And when do we question Him the most? When we don't have an answer right in front of us. That's when we tend to doubt the most, isn't it? I'll give you an example. I can tell you this. When, when I had my, when my, my scare a few years ago, it's kind of like this. When they came in and said, we think you have lymphoma. Now, if God would have said, hey, listen, Sean, listen, at the end it's all going to be okay. Go through these tests. It's going to be fine. Don't worry. You know what? I went whistling to every one of those tests. All the biopsies waiting for the results. I'd have been there the happiest guy in the world because I know it's going to be okay. And if you are honest, that's what happens. When things come into your life and if God would come to you before then and say, hey, listen, here's how it's all going to end. Would you worry through it? Would you question him through it? I don't think you would, and neither would I. If Job would have been, God would have come to Job at the start of this and said, listen, your life is going to look really bad. It's going to feel really bad. And you're going to want to question me. And you're going to want to doubt me. And you're going to want to think that your knowledge of your life is higher than mine. But listen to me, Job. You're a creature. Your mind is finite. And I promise you, Job, if you just listen to me, that no matter through the hurt, no matter when you are scraping your skin to get the boils off of it, and when everything around you has went up in smoke, and has been destroyed. Job, listen to me. My ways are higher than your ways. Don't try to rationalize it. You may not be able to understand every single thing I'm doing, but I'm God. Take comfort in that. And I'm not going to have to ask you those 77 questions later, because if you know that, then you'll trust me. Job, at the end of this, your life is going to be restored. Do you think Job would have worried? Do you think Job would have questioned God? I don't think he would have. If he did, not like he did there. You see, in our prayer life, we tend to lash out at God the most when we don't have the answers. Do you know why we don't have the answers a lot of times? Because if you could see it, it wouldn't be faith. And what does he want to grow in our lives? Faith. First Peter tells us that your faith is so precious. But what does he do to it? Your faith is so precious to him that he sets it on a fluffy little pillow, puts a case around it, and doesn't let anything attack it. He does just the opposite. 
he takes it and he puts it through the hottest heat. He puts it through the crucible of life. Why? To refine your faith. And if you could see the answer and the outcome before your trials, it wouldn't be faith. Faith is what is not seen. And if you can see it, then it's not faith. And if it's not faith, then how can it grow? Do you see the beauty of this attribute? That his ways can't always be figured out by us. And there are things that we will go to the grave as mysteries. You say, well, there's got to be a reason I went through that. Maybe it's this person or that person. We may never know. You may not touch people that you never know. That's okay. God knows what he's doing. His ways are higher. His ways are perfect. There's a joy and there's a peace in understanding that he's God and he's so much higher. And some things were to be in awe of him with because of his incomprehensibility. In prayer, it has to change. God, I don't know. That's okay. I may never know. That's okay. I trust you. And when I question you, let it be to me like it is to Job. Put me in the ashes. Put me on the ground until I have a heart that's true to you. How does this affect our worship? Well, when, when do you worship God the least? When you don't know, you can't figure it out. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? I don't know. How are these mysteries of the Bible figured out? Sometimes I don't know. There's comfort in not knowing. So what does that do to our soul? We then turn towards the God who does know, who's that much higher, and our heart explodes with doxology and praise. Maybe our worship says something like this, God, thank you, I don't know everything. Thank you, God, that you're growing my faith in this. God, thank you that you're God. And teach me that I'm not. There's power in His incomprehensibility. It goes through every life circumstance. When you witness to people, you will be around family members that may not be a Christian. And we said they're looking for your response. They're watching you. Would they see that you serve a God? That you trust even when you can't figure out circumstances? even when you don't have the answer to why this specifically happens other than it's working out for good? Would they see that you trust a God that is so worthy of awe and praise? Would they see that you believe God is truly incomprehensible? And for that, there's peace. You see, it affects so many aspects of life. There is comfort in the fact that God is God and we are not. And that we cannot begin to understand or comprehend the full depths or the exhaustive knowledge of Him, including the decrees of God. If we could understand all these things like we mentioned before, then we would have no God at all. And then I began to think. I began to think, and I thought, we've mentioned them before. I said, you know, the compatibilism, that's a mystery to me. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, the Trinity... How will this flesh have an incorruptible body? I mean, there's so many things that our mind can't fully grasp. How was I in union with Christ at the cross when I wasn't even there? All these mysteries, it's the deep things of God. I believe it. It's true. But then I thought, what if someone asked me, what's the most incomprehensible thing to you? And I think this one should be at the top of the list, for not just me, but for every Christian. Because when we think about things that are so incomprehensible to our minds, what has to be on that list is that He loved us and that He saved us. We have an eternal God who is holy, and we as creatures are not. I mean, we are fallen, rebel, 
sinful creatures. Undeserving of any love. What do we deserve? Wrath. All of us in our filthy garments before this holy God stand with our mouths closed and condemnation placed on our heads. Think about this. Isaiah shows us the response of fully beginning to learn who God is. If you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, we've said it before, but he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees the train of his robe filling the temple. The foundations are shaking. And he sees the seraphim and the cherubim praising God. With two of their wings, they cover their eyes because of the holy glory of God. And two, they have their feet covered because they're on holy ground like uh, he told Moses there. Take off your sandals, you're in holy ground. There's no more holy ground than in the presence of God. And two wings, they, they, they did their service for God. And you remember what they were crying out around the throne? Holy, holy, holy. You see, that's how it is for us. When you begin to see the holiness of God, it's only then that you can truly see who you are. And not until. Because if we don't understand the attributes of God and the holiness of God, then we truly don't understand who we are in comparison. And what is Isaiah's response? He saw God in his glory. And he says, woe unto me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a group of unclean people. He saw God and he realized how holy he was. And he says, woe unto me. I, I, I have no words. I, I don't deserve to be in your presence. Where else do we see this? When he calls the disciples, he calls Peter. That day, on the side of the sea, after he sends out to the deep in the middle of the day and they catch the fish when the disciples couldn't that night. And he calls Peter, and Peter what falls down to his knees and says, get away from me. I don't deserve to be in your presence. We're going to talk about this on Sunday when the glory of God is revealed on Mount Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. What is their response? They are on their face before God only when we understand who God is can we understand who we are. And when we understand His holiness and His perfection and His excellency and His transcendence and His wisdom and His power and what is required to be in His presence, we understand that no human has any hope. And when I begin to think, That before the world was formed. That this eternal God. Out of nothing I've done. Would choose to place the same love that he had for his son upon me. And I begin to think about that. And I begin to think about that. He wasn't going to leave it up to chance. So what did he do? He wrote my name permanently in the Lamb's Book of Life. When I think about that, and then I think that there was a time temporal time, temporal space, that God, the second part of the Trinity, the divine, the Logos, wrapped himself in flesh and condescended down to his creation. 
walked on this earth in all humility, took on the form of a man, became obedient to even death on a cross. When I think that he did that for me, and when I think that he lived a perfect, sinless life to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law for me, and when I think that he carried my sin, he bore my sin, and his body was broken and beaten, and he bore my sin in his body upon the cross to be the propitiation for my sin. As we talked about Sunday night, to take my sin debt and nail it to the cross and then cry to tell us die. It's finished when I think about that. When I think about this, God didn't need me. He didn't need me. He's God. Acts 17 says he's God. It's not that he needs anything from anybody. So when he chose from the foundation of the world, it wasn't that he was needy and absolutely couldn't function without us. He was with a union with the, the Trinity. There was companionship there between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't need us. He didn't need me. But he loved me. And chose me, not because he needed me. When I think about that, when I think that the perfect plan that the Father gave to the Son, the Son went and died, he went and laid his life down for the sheep. Not only did he, was he the propitiation, but he was the expiation. He, he took my sin away. When I think about that, and when I think that they put him in the grave, and then when I think that death couldn't hold him, it was impossible for death to hold him. Why? Because it was validating everything that he claimed. It was the father saying, yes, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yes, you fulfilled it all. Yes, you were sinless. Yes, death can't hold you. Yes, you've done your work. And now I'm going to raise you from the dead. And when I think that he was raised from the dead so that I could be in union with that resurrection, when I think that he was raised so that he could intercede for me every single second of my life after he saved me. That when I think about, stop and think about you. Think about your unrighteousness before a holy God. See, it all comes to pass in understanding more and more when we understand the holiness of God. I want you to stop and think about who you are in his presence without Christ Filthy, disgusting, vile, rebellious, sinful creatures who cannot save themselves. When I think about His holiness, and I think about His righteousness, and then I think that He did all that to cover me with His righteousness that I don't deserve. When I think about that, and then I think about that he intercedes and he indwells me and leads me and guides me and is guarding an inheritance for me as we speak. He's guarding me for that inheritance. And when I think that one day this fallen rebel creature who's been clothed by his righteousness only by mercy and grace will be able to spend eternity with him. When I think about all that, and when I think about his holiness, and I think about who I am, and when I think that he loved me and gave me the privilege, just like the son, to call him Abba Father, when I think about all that, there's only one word that comes to my mind. Incomprehensible. That's the most incomprehensible thing that I could ever imagine. 
And if you're a Christian, I hope that that's on the top of your list too. That this holy God would do this out of love and mercy and grace. That's the only way to describe it. Our mind can't grasp it. So therefore, His love and His plan is incomprehensible. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this word. We thank You for how incomprehensible Your true nature and Your true being is. God, we thank you for what you've revealed in your word. We thank you for the truths that you've let us see. We thank you that you've given us the truths of the gospel. We thank you that you've allowed us, God, by your Holy Spirit to grow in knowledge. We're so thankful for that, God, and we ask that you would give us a desire to continue to grow in that and that we would be diligent in that until the day we take our last breath. But God, as we've heard tonight, verse after verse after verse, that we as finite creatures, cannot truly understand exhaustively who you are in your ways. And God, let it never be that that brings fear or worry or anxiety, but God, it rises up peace and joy and worship in our hearts. God, thank you that you are a God that we can't fully comprehend because if we could, you wouldn't be God. Father, let it change our lives. Let us see you higher and higher than we have ever seen you. And Father, as we've mentioned, the most incomprehensible thing to me is that you would save me. That you would have mercy on me where mercy was not due and where grace was not due. Lord, teach me more every day to understand who you are in your holiness and all your attributes. Lord, let them bring all to my mind. And each day that I live, your salvation on me would grow more incomprehensible. Lord, to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, we praise you and thank you. Amen.